What's up, guys? Phil Vallejo here with the Modern Day Cyber Podcast, and welcome back to another episode. This is episode number 66, and Kenlin and I are just coming back from Volusia County, Florida, where we hosted an intro to Precision Rifle and an advanced competition clinic. Kenlin and I pretty much recap on some of the trends that we saw in regards to fundamentals with our students and some of the gear issues some of our students were having. This is our second year now down at Volusia County, just right outside of Orlando, Florida, and we're super huge fans of the venue. Uh, we think it is perfect for both the introductory level student that's just looking to get into long range shooting and even the advanced level shooter that is looking to maybe broaden their horizon or skill set, especially when navigating positional shooting off of their belly. So we look forward to coming back year after year. Caitlin and I also talk about the new competition chassis that KRG just released, which is the C4. Now, we're super honored to have helped out with some of the prototype and design features, giving them feedback, and what we feel like the competitive shooter is looking for out of a chassis. So we're super excited to talk to you guys about some of the features that we like about it and what to expect from the end user when they do release the chassis to the public. All right, guys, hopefully you guys enjoyed this uh, new kind of intro that we're doing uh, with the podcast. If you guys are new to the Modern Day Cyber Podcast, welcome. Hopefully you guys enjoy the content. And if you're a returning listener, thank you guys for coming back and your support. And let's go ahead and dive into this episode. You guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun. You can look at the berms out there and you can see that the berms are you know horizontally level. And then also you got the water line out there and you can see the water lines level. And so I think what ends up happening is when you have these, when you have students that have the levels on there, they, they obviously it's, um, it's been told that it's a necessity, right? It's been, it's been told to everybody that it's a necessity. We, we see it as a necessity to be super, super precise, especially on uneven terrain or uneven ranges, but then if for a beginning shooter, if the level is not correct, which four of those guns did not have levels that were correct, the students then focused on the level that's incorrect and their wind calls are completely different than everybody else's. And every shot, it's a different wind call because every shot, the rifle is in a different uh, orientation with regard to the angle of cant. And so it's... um it's interesting because people put the levels on their guns, but yet they don't also incorporate the level into the, the pre-shot process or like looking at the level in the pre-shot process or they forget about it. And, um, you know, a lot of things that we saw like bipods not being tight enough. And so the rifle is canting and rotating under the forces of recoil and they're the, the student's brain is overloaded to the point of, um, they're out of the system. They're not in the, they're not in the loop. And so all of these things that need to be focused on in a systematic way are just kind of like in space and, oh yeah, okay. I got to go grab that one. And then it's like, oh, the tension gets directed to that one, but then we miss a couple other things. So that's just, that's something that I noticed while we were there. And is um, the other thing was, uh, was grip and trigger finger placement big time. I saw a lot of that stuff that required, um, that's one of those things that requires a lot of attention because it's clearly, um, very, very solidified in the subconscious, the way that the grip is being built. And so in order for, for that to be changed, the student has to be aware of it and then make a focused effort to correct it. But at the same time, they also need a coach standing over the top of them to say, no, 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 do it again. Nope. Do it again. He did it again. And so, um, I took a lot of photos. I took a lot of videos, of students that, that were doing that and sent them those videos and photos. So that way they could see the difference between, um, what is correct versus what is incorrect when it comes to grip. So, and trigger finger placement. Um, but I think, you know, the gear that we had was, we had some, we had some good gear. We had some guns that were, that were struggling when they were getting warm, uh, the, when the barrels were getting warm. Um, but outside of that, everybody had, have had pretty good, pretty good consistent gear in the intro course. And even, you know, obviously the advanced course, the advanced competition clinic, everybody had super solid gear there too. So, um, I would, I would a little, I'd, I'd differ, I'd differ your, your opinion on rifles that were there. Uh, there was a couple of rifles that, um, were having some issues which, which, in the intro. Yeah, yeah, 
You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, two that's specific, I, yeah. Two, th- those two are the ones that I'm phones. talking about. Yeah, those are the ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah, were struggling. So, yeah, and this kind of goes to like understanding when a student comes through class and in their headspace, right? If they bring equipment that you know they find out it's not working for them, or just like they get sucked into a rifle that uh, has all these awesome reviews by, you know, I don't know, people that are not shooting at the cadence that we're shooting. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like they just end up having a horrible uh, learning experience. Right. Cause they're just so focused on the performance of the rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just not able to per se keep up right. With, uh, with some of the other class. Right. And then, and then frustration starts to build, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Um, oh, yeah. And we're trying to uh, run them through courses of fire or, or whatnot and you know they have a certain expectation of this firefall to perform but it's not performing you know again based off of what they're seeing in their terms of their peers and, and other class in 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 their rifles right yeah and that just takes you down that that'll take that'll take a shooter way down into the depths of doubt in in everything and like you said, they start getting frustrated and it, it's rightfully so. I mean, you like those, this is not a cheap, this is not a cheap hobby, right? So you're investing a tremendous amount of time and, and money into, um, into a rifle. And then you come to a course, which also then costs you time and money. Um, and it's not performing nearly where, um, where it should be under those conditions, and people, they, they're not making the connection because they're just not educated yet on um, the nuances of the difference between, say, like a hunting rifle versus a, a rifle that's designed to have a sustained rate of fire for a long duration of time and still be able to retain the accuracy and precision um, from shot number one to shot number 20, you know, in, a, in say, a 20-shot mm-hmm. string. Um And I can totally see how that's frustrating. And then you don't want to be that guy. That's just like, Hey man, um, you kind of selected the wrong piece of equipment for this particular application. And you can see like the, you can see the, the, the look of frustration and the, and the the glossed over, uh, look in the eyes of like, did you just tell me my baby was ugly? And, And you're just like, I'm really like, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser here, man, but yeah, you, you kind of, um, you, you brought the wrong tool for the job. And so if that's the only rifle that that person has, then they're, then, you know, they're like, okay, well then what do I do for the next three days while we're out here shooting? Um, we made some concessions. We, we brought, um, another, uh, another student had an extra rifle that, that really, that helped one, one student alleviate some problems and it was in their own little group there. So of, of friends, so the, you know, the, the last, the, the last man out, so to speak, you know, he was just having to make sure to keep in the back of his mind that he couldn't continue to uh, go super deep into shot strings without stopping and letting the barrel cool and bringing it back to uh, where it started. So, but man, that's, that is super frustrating to, to experience, especially in a learning environment. Cause our, our classes, I wouldn't say it's super fast paced, but it is paced so that everything builds on it's on the preceding uh the preceding subject and so you can get left behind pretty fast just as a as a as a nature of the amount of information we're trying to put into four days and with the and the end goal in mind yeah and you know it's tough because we don't want to we don't want to leave a student behind yeah um even with two instructors you know this is where i you know, having a third instructor would, would help out, but even with two instructors, it's very hard to see everything. Um, especially when you want to maximize the, um, learning curve of every student based off of their skill level. Right. Um, we had a perfect example of a student of ours that has taken, I'm pretty sure he's taken all of our online training and it showed when he came to class, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think you need to be a high shooter uh, for intro. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just super cool. I think that just goes back to what you and I are trying to 
uh, create with the online training program and, and that, that system there of like, Hey, taking a person from literally not zero to hero, but, you know, give them based off of, you know, their time and obviously range availability to be able to watch these videos and go, Hey, I'm going to go, you know, practice this one day mm-hmm. and, um, then go to class to, you know, get those small little tweaks that obviously you, you're not able to get, you know, by just watching a video, right? right. Maybe like you said, uh, um, grip or, or placement of the hand, uh, trigger finger relationship, mm-hmm. right. Um, how they're managing recoil, right. That's what, that's essentially what you come to, to class. And then a lot of it is maybe reaffirmation of what you've learned, uh, in these online platforms, or maybe just, we're now saying it a different way or now it's able to click right Mm -hmm. in terms of uh okay like hey they understand the basic concept but now as we're explaining it again or in 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 in, or saying it a different way that's where the like the light bulb moments come on you know what i mean especially with like we start we would start talking about wind and gun number a lot of guys this is our podcast smash that uh you know that wind podcast that we did Mm-hmm. gun number and they're just like yeah. i still can't grasp the concept and then you know you write everything out for them and they're like i get it now <laughs> yeah <laughs> for like- sure and i think a lot of the guys show up um i say guys a lot of students show up thinking that's that 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 gun number thing is like the end all be all and that's exactly the only way that uh the only method or technique that we utilize to um to call the wind and compensate for it but it's not it's just one of many um, it's funny. I was, uh, I was stuffing some cases this morning and I was listening to, um, one of Eric Cortina's, uh, videos where he interviewed one of, uh, one of the winners of, uh, nationals F-class nationals. There's an older gentleman that was talking about wind reading. Um, he shoots a, he shoots a seven R SOM as well. Um, he said he'd been shooting it since, uh, 2013 or 2012, something like that. And, he was talking about his process of, of reading wind and, and, you know, he's like, well, I, I try to, I'm focusing on the wind at the target as with my rifle scope, but then I have my spotting scope focused on wind at mid range. So that way I can identify the two different uh, zones that the bullet's going to fly through. And, you know, he echoed the same thing that, that we talk about. It's like, Hey, very rarely are you going to have um, a, a condition where everything agrees with, with, um, with the other. And he said, really the bottom line is, is just experience and being able to, um, take a guess. And he said every single shot, he was like every single shot. I'm, I'm scared that, um, that, that bullet's going to go someplace where, (laughs) where, where I don't want it to, because I missed something like, because I missed some sort of indicator. Um, and it's, it's interesting that he brought that up too, because, um, reading a lot about, uh, lately about just, um, visualization and, um, utilizing positive mental attitude and thought process to manifest results and visualizations. It's, it's almost seems like that would be counterproductive, but then again, you know, clearly this gentleman's performing and he was able to, to take a title out of, uh, out of that type of mentality. So there's something to be said for it. I think maybe perhaps instead of fear, it's a, it's a respect for, uh, it's a respect for the conditions and knowing that, uh, in the back of your mind that every shot really truly is a guess, you know, it, it's, it's a guess and you're taking your best guess in that moment right now. And so, um, I, I enjoyed it. It's like 15 minutes long. Um, he just basically just interviewed this guy and it was, uh, it was a good one. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say about like being scared, um, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily scared when I'm like doing demos in front of the students and, you know, we, we've got the trigger cam and, you know, this last class we were able to hook up the monitor so that they, as we were doing the demonstration, they're seeing exactly what, what I'm seeing through the scope. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm to a point where it's just like, Hey, if, if I miss, I miss, right. It's a, it's, it shows a, that I'm human, but B I'm not afraid to miss, I'm not afraid right to, you know, take my best guess at my wind call. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because for us, this is training, right. It's training because, um, I'm not in a competition. Um, I'm not on a hunt. Right. So Mm -hmm. I can, 
take the opportunity to learn from all my mistakes in terms of like, oh, I overjudged the wind at that point based off of what I saw with Mirage, right? And when it comes down to it, um, it gives me an idea of like, hey, if I'm now shooting at an animal and I see these exact same conditions, I can be like, well, last time I saw this, I made, you know, 75% of my wind calls incorrectly. So I'm probably just going to get closer to yep. where I'm more confident, right? For sure. Um, or, you know, have a 100%, uh, you know, confidence of like, I've seen this before, right? I've seen uh, these conditions and, you know, 10 out of 10 times in, in this distance and in this position, I'm going to hit my fucking target. Yeah, right? for sure. So I, I a thought lot guys, um, a, a lot of guys get paralyzed with, with, again, making that perfect wind call that we talked about in our wind class. The paralysis right? by analysis. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, he also brought it up. He's like, look, you know, for, for us, we have 20 minutes to, to shoot our string. Right. So in that game, there is a certain level where you can kind of wait for the conditions to, to settle themselves or become consistent. And he said, you know, you can do that to a certain point, but he goes, yeah, you only have 20 minutes to get this done. So, you know, you don't want to kind of, you don't want to burn up all your time waiting for a condition to, to change or uh, move back to what you thought was the initial baseline. But he said, you know, it is nice, but in our world, you know, when you have two minutes or, you know, 90 seconds, and that's just, you're dealing with whatever the conditions are in that two minutes or that 90 seconds. Um, in the competitive world. And obviously you're dealing with whatever scenario you're dealing with um, in a, in a hunting environment. And so that's, again, it just, it goes to show that it's, you have to get out and shoot in a bunch of different conditions and a bunch of different locations to figure out all of these variables and to build your own mental database of, of cues and feelings and sensations. And, um, and like you said, like, I don't think I'm scared. Uh, I don't think I'm scared to miss. I think that goes a lot into confidence and equipment that I'd like to kind of touch on in this podcast too, just kind of comes to mind. Um, having confidence in your equipment is, is absolutely paramount. And when you don't have confidence in your equipment, there is that thought in the back of your mind saying, where's this one going to go? Um, and when we have that, when we have that happen, you know, you're questioning whether or not you're doing everything correctly. And then you're seeing something that goes contrary to what the, what the, the last site pictures call was. And you're just like, yo, what, what happened with that one? And so that gets worse and worse, the greater the distance you go. Whereas like, you know, if you're having a flyer happen here and there at 400 and 500 yards on a, you know, two minute of angle target. Okay. Yeah. We can deal with that. But as soon as we start stretching the limits or pushing past that out to like six, seven, 800 yards, those flyers become misses and they become, um, uh, they, 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 they force you to question everything that you're doing. You're just like, Hey, did I really break that shot center or where did it, why did it go there? Um, and also, uh, Eric brought up another good point in a conversation, um, when it came to rifle cleaning, um, and he was talking about like, okay, so in the world of F-class shooting, we understand that we're going to have flyers. We understand that we're going to have flyers. We do everything that we can to minimize the, the frequency of those flyers happening, but we know that they exist. However, he said, you know, in the PRS game, nobody talks about flyers. Everybody talks about getting wind screwed. Right. And it's just like, it goes back to us talking about um, shooting dot drills clean. Right. If you, when people say, Hey, I got, I just got screwed by the wind or the wind stopped. And he even mentioned that in his discussion too. He's just like, Well, you really think the wind stopped in that exact instant to cause you to miss the plate? Or did you have a flyer or did you break a bad shot? And it's always, I think, in our, in our world, we're moving so fast that it's very difficult to, to hit the pause button and go, uh, wait a minute. Was that a flyer or was that me or was that the condition? And so I think that's, I think that's a great point to discuss and to, to, to just truly admit it and say, yeah, man, like, um, a lot of the shooters that we see out there believe that every single bullet should go exactly where they want it to. And that is just absolutely not the case. 
Yeah. Um, it's funny that you say that it, when, especially when, when you're looking and you're shooting and you're like, man, was that a flyer? You're almost scared to make a correction. Yeah. Right? You're for almost sure. scared to be like, man, if I make a correction by holding low, I feel like now I'm going to miss low. Right. Cause now that, now that bullet's going to go exactly where I, where my reticle is at. And that happens. Uh, I, 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 it does I, happen. Yeah. Yeah. I reviewed trigger cam footage. I reviewed a bunch of trigger cam footage from, um, the last day we shot in Florida and it was like savage, man. Like you could literally see the trigger cam, you know, the, the reticle. I love the trigger cam because you can go frame by frame. You can see exactly where the reticle was before it blurs to go to recoil. And you're like, okay, cool. That was a, that was a center shot. You watch the bullet land, you know, three tenths to the right, just off the right edge of the target. And then you can see, oh, okay, I'm going to correct three tenths to the left. (laughs) And you, you break a completely clean three tenth left shot. And the bullet goes exactly where the center of your reticle is. And you're like, dude, this is, it's one, it's just one of those days. And we had those conditions there just about every day that we shot. We, we didn't have a whole lot of, except, day, um, except uh, day two, when we actually was shooting long range for PR one one We did have some cross class. Yeah. The only, uh, that was the most that we, we held for when the whole week that we were there was day two. And there was, yeah. those guys were stretching their legs out the first day. I think we were holding like a meal at 900. Yeah. Pretty much everything else besides that. It was like, you know, coming either yeah, it was a, right in yeah, your face. Went, or a tailwind and, you know, fluctuating between a quarter and a half value left or right. And so, yeah, those conditions are frustrating and you, and then like going through the footage, I'm like, okay, so let's stop that. And I, and I know that this potentially could go against, um, you know, reading these books on, um, like the champion's mindset and, um, uh, Bass Ham's book on, with winning in mind. And he talks about, you know, he's just like, I don't think about the bad shots. I don't think about the shots that I missed. And I can see where he's coming from, from that point of view. But I think also it depends on how you're looking at those shots that you missed, because I do believe that you have to learn from something like you have to be able to learn from witnessing, okay, what did I miss? And then you can go back in the trigger cam footage and you can look and say, did I miss the Mirage change? in between those two shots. Um, was it, was it, was it visible for me to see it even? Um, and, and, or did I just, did I, was it just a, a circumstance of the conditions? And so I think that's really important for, for our style of shooting to be looked at in order for us to grow and learn. I don't know. What do you think about that in terms of do you think, do you think about the shots that you missed or do you think more along the lines of what you did well and you do not dwell on the shots that you missed? Struggle with this. Uh, in competitions, I, um, you know, in, in competitions, I try, I, I try to not focus on the shots that I miss, but then I also try to rationalize like, okay, well, um, did I miss because of something that's out of my control, which is when, right. or did I miss because of something that what's within my control? Cause if it's within my control, how can I can, how can I mitigate that next time? Right. Bad dope, right. Wrong run, uh, wrong wind dial, which I did, um, at the PRS finale, you know, um, and honestly, but, but for training, it's, you know, for training, it's like, Hey, if I miss, just make the correction. Right. Um, whereas like, again, in competition, I, I wish I could continue to carry that. And that's what I've been working on lately. It's just kind of my month, my mental mindset of, of like, you know, um, turning the page when I do have a bad stage and it's tough, right? It's tough because you, you know, a lot of shooters have, um, you know, especially when they go to a, a national level match, uh, that, um, you're traveling, right. It's a, it's a lot, it's a lot to bear expense to, yeah. Um, on top of, you know, you got a lot of me, skin in the game. Oh yeah. For me, like leaving my daughter for the weekend. Right. Um, so when I have a bad, when I have a bad weekend, right. Um, I try not to, you know, lash out and, but it just, it just our, our, uh, uh, emotions taking over us. And that's one thing that I've been trying to get better at individually. And I was just ha- ha- actually having this conversation with Mike, uh, Lily, and we were talking about when I won the PRS finale in 2018 and it's like, 
I didn't have Zoe then. Um, she was with Tom, and I, I remember shooting at the range every day because I was working with Gunworks. Right, we were, we we were on. I was on the range every day, mm-hmm. uh, working. Um, cause I'd shoot right after the students, uh, and train for a little bit, and then I I shot up until the finale, pretty much two matches a month. So it was September, October, November, because uh, I wasn't hunting yet, and you know, it, I mean, that's what it takes mm-hmm. to be at the top of the level um, of competition right? You, you can't, you know, just show up anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and expect to do well. Um, it, it, there's, there's a couple freaks like that, right. Um, that just really have a, a mental, you know, that mental fortitude. Um, but then, you know, for the most part for, for, I'd say 90% of the other 98% of the other average competitors, like you have to go out there and, and put in the work, mm-hmm. build, build mental resilience and, and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the mental resilience part is, is, um, that's a, that's a struggle. Every single, um, every single, uh, piece of literature or publication that I've ever read on, um, you know, winning mindset or a champion's mindset, it always focuses on self-image. There's always a, a significant amount of, um, uh, real estate, if you will, in the book talking about, uh, self-image and, managing emotions, managing expectations, setting expectations. And, um, it's, that's, it's rightfully so just because, um, we have these systems within, within our bodies that if we don't understand what they are, they can quickly, they can quickly grab a hold and take control and you're riding a wave that you don't want to be on and you can't, you know, it's not as easy as just jumping off the wave until you're aware that, um, that's the wave that you're riding. And then you go, Oh, okay, wait a minute. So, all right, I'm here. I understand, I I understand I'm aware of how I got here in this current mental state. And so now what techniques can I use to get myself out of that mental state and get back to a baseline? Um, Duffy's emotional, uh, emotional baseline chart and his graphic is really good. Um, I, I enjoyed listening to him uh, describe that and draw it on the whiteboard because it's very real. It's, um, and it's an effective way of communicating like the ups and downs that you, that you go through each and every day, each and every human. I mean, dude, there's, what do we have? 60,000, 60 to 70,000 thoughts go through our head a day and 90% on average, 90% of those, of the thoughts that we think are the same thoughts that we had the day before. So we can see how quickly it is that we can, you know, fall into um, a pattern of of thinking that truly doesn't serve us. Uh, it's it's not doing anything uh, to to help or progress our our mindset, which then will help progress our our physical skills. Right. So it's all fascinating stuff, and I'm learning. I'm you know, as well as, you know, to, because we're talking about it together, we talk about it a lot is this is the psychology aspect of it, which for me is it's becoming very, very fascinating and, and kind of addictive to continue to read about it and learn about it. Uh, I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny because I always ask myself, well, what's my end state, right? What's my end state with competing at the high level? What's my end state with with training and and stuff like that. And, um, ultimately like I'm doing it for myself, right? Like I'm doing it to, to see like, well, what's the, what's my true, what's my true potential behind a precision rifle. Right. Right. Um, and this is why we've talked about this. This is kind of why I don't like the fact that we have a home range that I love going to different places to train in, in, in different venues to, uh, to relearn the wind and, and, um, and, and the specific environment and and stuff like, cause that's realistic to where uh, we came from. Right. Um, and even for, for hunters, right. It's, it's very realistic for hunters to go to uh, an area that they have never, ever trained before and try to figure it out within, you know, a couple of days or within split seconds of like, Hey, you know, I've got a shot at 500 yards, the close I can get, you know, um, you know, what experience do they have at that point to confidently, you know, again, pull the trigger and know that they didn't hit by luck right um <laughs> uh, by the skin of the teeth or they didn't bring a freaking uh 300 wind mag or 300 prc to offset their right. poor shot placement 
right. you know, and, and, and people, it's funny. Um, I mean, I would say ever since I shot my elk yeah, on social media, um, you know, uh, Colton and uh, Dustin from Gunworks, well, Colton Bagnoli, we know like our good friend, uh-huh. um, always tag me in six, five Creedmoor memes. And, um, and I'm, I'm reposting them. And a lot of people think that now, like I'm shitting on the six, five Creedmoor. It's like, dude, it's like, if only you knew that I've got seven <laughs> fucking six, five Creedmoors, right. Because I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that cartridge, right? So it's, it's the most well-rounded cartridge. Uh, and that's the, like words mean things, most well-rounded cartridge for long range shooting. Yep. I didn't say long range hunting, right? right? I said for long range shooting. Right. Is it is it an optimal long range hunting cartridge? Well, let's define long range, right? Um, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm not taking a thousand yard elk shot, thousand yard mule deer shot, mm-hmm. because there's so many. I know for a fact there's so many um, unknowns that you know between you and that target that I know for a fact a lot of people aren't aren't taking into consideration no and not. just out of pure quote-unquote luck right they're able to connect um but uh i think there is yeah there's just a lot of um and i can see just a lot of misinformation of of like of people you know saying that oh, i bought the six five creed more and i shot an elk with it and it didn't go down because i had perfect shot placement well, I mean, if you understood you, the rifle that you're bringing to the fight, you know, you probably should have known that I need to be prepared for a follow-up shot. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly in my head. Like when I, when I shot my elk, like, and I saw the, <laughs> I saw the very minimal, like, like soak up that it did. Mm-hmm. I, I immediately knew at that split second, I was like, I need to shoot him again when mm-hmm. he, when he stops and gives me a chance, mm-hmm. you know um, whereas I know that guys like Colton, who's an ex- very experienced guy and hunter have had shooters with six, five Creedmoors that it's all, it all just builds the bank, right? It all just builds the bank of, of experience. And that's what we draw from when we make the decision to go, yep, it's time to, it's time to take safety off and make wind call and apply and apply the trigger control and make it happen. So it's all, uh, but it all happens in a really, really quick moment. You know, that for sure. Now it's like, all right, dude, it's like you literally have 10 seconds like before he steps into into oblivion or he steps into a place where you can't shoot him. Um, and it's got to be you got to be tuned in is really what it is. You just have to be t- super tuned in to what's going on around you. I was having dinner with a gentleman that um, uh, is a hunter and, uh, you know, we were we were talking about cartridges and uh I told him that I'd shot my elk, my first elk this past, uh, this past fall. And he's like, Oh, what'd you shoot it with? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, I shot it with a six, five Creedmoor. And he's just like, he's like, no. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, he's like, how far did you shoot it? I was like 465 yards. He's like, Holy shit. He's like, I've never taken a shot past uh, 300 yards. Yeah. And you know, this is even prior to me telling him what I did for a living. Right. We were just, oh, okay. um, just having dinner with, with friends and, and, um, and uh he's like well like how did you know like like how did you know the distance that like you was okay to shoot him at i was like i mean i did my re- I, I did my homework um with like the that bullet that i was taking and and it's uh effective you know um uh, velocities in terms of uh you know what kind of retained velocity i want for that bullet to to achieve reliable terminal performance and, and then we started diving into the ballistic gap and stuff like that. It helped him program his, his, his rifle and his gun. And then, um, you know, it came to find out, like he, you know, figured out what I did and he's like, so I re- we played the video for him, uh, with oh, right. my, my elk hunt, you know, and, uh, and this goes back to what you were saying. I think it was, I don't know if it was last podcast or if it was, um, in an in-person class of like, of like how scary it is to focus on the center of the reticle and aim other than where you want to put (laughs) that shot. Right. And so obviously I knew that I was holding for wind. So I was focusing on the five tenth mark, but like Mm -hmm. immediately his eyes goes to the center of the reticle. He's like, dude, you're holding at his guts. And I'm like, I was like, I'm glad you said that because (laughs) my business partner and I just had this discussion. (laughs) And, And I was like, looking back, I probably should have just dialed for wind. 
but I, I mean, at this point I was just like, Hey, hold five tenths and it's good. And, and then I showed him, I mean, you see the um, phone scope video and he's like, Oh dude, that was perfect. And then we just talked about the soak up and then um, stone glacier just released that video with Jared Miller um, with the uh, um, with that elk that uh, Jared's elk uh, fell down. You, you remember Jared, we shot, we shot with mm -hmm. him at Granite Creek. He was right. He was right behind yeah. us. Mm -hmm. And um I mean, just the difference, right? I think he was shooting a 300 win mag and I could be incorrect, but it was a great video that Zach put together. Um, but, uh, I mean, this thing just eats it and like, you can just see the soak up. Right. And yeah. I mean, stands there for another two seconds and then just tips over. <laughs> tips <laughs> over. So just the, that's just the terminal performance difference between the two cartridges is, is, is phenomenal, but yeah. The, the uh, amount of energy transfer that happens that you can see. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, you're right. Like the, like I wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting the minimal soak up that I saw with that elk. And it, it initially, like I was, I was a little afraid that I didn't hit him. I just mm. had only, only reaffirmation that I had good shot placement was because of my spotter. And, you know, we talk about like, Hey, the, the shooter should have accountability of every shot. Well, shit. Like, I mean, I came back on target and you see it, but mm -hmm because we're shooting into a flesh now, not a reactive piece of steel. It's completely right. different. Yep. It changes the game. And it's like, it's like, holy shit. I'm glad that I had clay there to like, give me reaffirmation that my vapor trail or that my trace went perfectly and went in spot. So I knew my wind call was good. And I just, you know, use the same thing. Right. But had I not had him there, I think, I mean, I honestly don't even know if I would have taken the same shot. Because I, I, at that point, I was like, uh, did I fucking hit him in the gut? So I should I just hold straight up for the next shot, right? Um, but yeah, that's, that's something to put in perspective, especially considering the amount of rounds I put down range, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I can only imagine the average hunter that's only shooting 20, 30 rounds a season. If yeah, that. It, well, it, it Pete, while well, we were in Montana, man, we were talking with Pete and... Um, I remember he looked at me and he's just like, we were talking about how many rounds we shoot and how far we're shooting at animals, how, how many rounds we shoot per season on average and how far we shoot at animals. And he's like, he goes, you still miss 600 yard targets. And I was like, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> and he's just like, there you go. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's some, that's some sage advice right there, man. It's true. It's very true. So, um, and that's, that goes back to what we just talked about uh, earlier with, with people, um, refusing to believe that that they could have either had a flyer in their load development um, as a result of their load development or they had a flyer as a result of a bad trigger press um, or a shifting condition that they just didn't see and um, it, you know a lot of things can happen and so it's but then in that one moment in that one instant of time where you make the decision to shoot it all has to come together and you just can't screw up, you know, I mean, many people do, we do, and it happens like you're, you're new, you're new to hunting. You're going to experience, you know, um, you're going to experience things happen. You're going to experience bad shots happen and you're going to need to learn how to deal with those things. Um, because it's going to happen if you do it long enough, it's, it's going to happen. You're going to make a bad shot or you're going to make a, a series of, of decisions that will result, uh, or culminate in, uh, an event that you're like, dude, how did I get here? You know? So just, it is what it is. And that's how that's the, it's the human experience of learning in every, in every regard. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. I mean, that was a good way to open it up. I kind of like this new style of, um, just kind of, just kind of hit the record button and talk and, and then we'll get back in, we'll get into the, into the meat of it. Um, well, yeah, I, it just, it, I mean, I, I will throw the intro, you know, on top of, I, I like that style, you know, where, you know, um, the podcast that we have been listening to where he just throws a real quick intro of, of a summary of what we talk about, mm -hmm. of what they talked about in their podcast. So, um, either you and I can do it and, and it'd be yeah. something that those guys can definitely look forward to, but, um, mm -hmm. what else did we want to talk about? I mean, we, so we well, got in Florida, we got hands on, I know a lot of people, uh, I might as well just say it, um, especially, I'll probably try to release a video this time. I know I said I was going to do it last time, but uh, I really like to put it up on YouTube for, for these guys. Um, and I'm still trying to work on the one we did in, in, uh, in Altis, but, um, 
I've got the you and I have the uh, the is it pre-production C force the C four. Um, I think it is pre-production if I recall the verbiage that was used. Um, but it's it's pretty dope, man. It, it's it's pretty yeah. rad. Yeah, I, I've been you know um, thinking of how to really do a video on it because um, you know i i, I kind of want to just do an, an initial video on it uh to, to highlight the features and then i want to do you know a common question that that i've been getting because they they look at the price side they're like ah, some of the guys are like i don't know if i can make that jump right you know then do like a to do a comparison right because i've got the three different types of setups uh the competition chassis mm-hmm. which is or their original competition uh setup which is a whiskey three with a um uh arca four end and a spigot um and then you know the one that i typically run which is an enclosed foreign but close foreign um i'm a big fan of of the c4 so far man I, uh they did a really great job um i think the uh input from the shooters that are running uh krgs uh everyone did a great job to um, contribute to what this, uh, chassis turned out to be. Right. Um, and hats off to Justin and the team over there at at KRG for really putting it all together. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. So a couple things off the top of my, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just glad that they decided to, uh, turn it into production. Cause I I do recall when we first got the prototypes, he was just kind of like, you know, I don't know. We're not, we're not super sure just because of um, just because of the, the amount of expense that goes into uh, producing a part uh, and a product like that, kind of looking at it more from the standpoint of like the Habu. Um, hey, it's a, it's a proof, not only is it a proof of concept, but it's a proof of, of abilities to produce something at that, uh, at that level of quality and precision workmanship. But uh, so I'm I'm glad to know that they made the decision to make the to make it available, which is good because quite honestly, man, I mean, you know, I I I've always shot KRG uh, from the get go. Um, I do really enjoy the CeeLo chassis from American Rifle Company. I shot that quite a bit, but this this C4 is is um, you know, it's kind of like the it's the pinnacle at this point, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you know the so the you know uh, non adjust the the toolist adjustability of the buttstock uh, is still there, right? Mm-hmm. It gives the, the the end user um, full flexibility of adjusting to their specific shooting style and body mechanics. Um, I really love that they've uh, shortened the length of pool. It's still not as short as I, I would like it to be for smaller frame shooters. I think it starts off at 13 inches, uh, which I think honestly, most shooters, um, small frame shooters are, are right at anyways, maybe 12 and three quarters. Um, but I was actually talking with Pete about this and, you know, we were talking about like, where does that length of pool actually stem from? And, you know, we feel like it's really more, more the distance between here and here, not, you know, cause you see shooters, you know, and I've done this, right? Put your hand in the crook of your elbow. But when do you ever interface with a precision rifle like that? You don't, right? So, um, so we've been talking about length of pull uh, when I had when I had lunch with Pete. Um, uh, I really love the adjustable bag rider. I was playing with that feature. That's it's something a new, super to, cool to, feature to throw into your shooting um, kind of mechanics, right? Of like, oh crap, my bipods are too tall, right? So instead of reaching up and making adjustments to your bipods you can reach now back all and... you have to do is um adjust the adjustable bag router which is uh super neat um and then uh the grip area right the forward thumb shelf uh for smaller hands uh yeah. is very very nice um even with my hands uh, i've noticed even i've noticed myself gravitating to that versus the traditional spot of right where it typically is at mm-hmm. um and so that that uh that thumb shelf but i think my favorite feature of the, 
the chassis is the whole magwell area yeah the magwell area they did a great job with that man um being able to custom fit that um that's huge and i'm about to do, i'm about to learn i'm about to learn that because i have um a matter of fact my my bra and uh, two barrels will show up today from the gunsmith so i'm pretty stoked to get that in my hands and start um I'm going to start fire forming next week with that. And, you know, we're going to have, I'm going to, I haven't dealt with BRA spacer kits and stuff like that. So I've got some kits from primal rights and I'm going to dump into some magazines, but magazine presentation and feeding and reliable feeding is so, so important. And being able to make sure that each individual magazine um, or manufacturer of magazine, because they're all different, they all have different uh, dimensions and tolerances and presentation angles um, and feeding characteristics that it's awesome to be able to, to truly customize and tune that presentation using the C4 and those features. Um, I really appreciate, um, the, uh, I guess you could kind of call them control wings on the inside of the magwell for AICS magazines to keep those things centered, um, and not flopping around left and right. And then to be able to also, um, control the, the 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 length opening of the magazine well to fit so that way if you're not um if the if the mag hits your the bottom of your bag or something and it kind of tweaks the presentation um your bolt can hit the back of the feed lips and cause a stoppage in your mag in your in your bolt manipulation and that's just that just is enough to take you out of the loop in that particular moment especially when you're shooting something like a 90 second stage with you know five or ten positions um that that's like a you're done at that point in time because your time management skills are not going to be you're not going to be able to reduce that stoppage in enough time you know what i mean like so then that big giant area the big giant um barricade stop there to prevent the bag from coming in contact with the magazine in the first place is awesome um and also the adjustability of the magazine catch uh and the vertical plane is super handy as well yeah, so I when I when I went down to um, <clears throat> when I went down to Florida, I brought the C4, my 6.5 Creedmoor, and I was using AICS uh, mags. And but when I came here to back to uh, Cody, I dropped my BRA in there, and I had to make some modifications to uh, the magwell. Um, so uh, to the the magazines that I'm running for my uh, BRA. I, so I, I was originally running the um, uh, AW mags, uh, mm -hmm. which are the double stack 10 rounders. Um, and I was running into issues for, for certain stages where you had 12 round stages where it's like, now I've got to incorporate a reload. Right. right. And so um, I got some MDT BR mags, uh, 12 rounders. And thankfully because of the width of those 12 rounders, um, uh, I, I had to take those, like you said, those, those wings, wings. off. Um, but I was able to find a balance between both the AW mags and the MDT mags, uh, in terms of size and height, um, to where both of them run flawlessly. Right. So I'm excited to get those out <clears throat> and, and, and mess with those. Um, next time I'm out at the range, uh, the weather's been pretty shitty here, so I haven't been able to, to, to shoot much, but, um, yeah. And then, and then the forend, um, they've lengthened the forend. Uh, and it's all integral Arca. Uh, and then I just love the enclosed forehand, how they, how they just screw the enclosed forehand on, right? Like I'm a big fan of the enclosed forehand, being able to wrap, especially if I've got big hands, be able to put the top of my finger uh, above the shroud. Yep. Um, to uh, just help with my C clamp grip in, in support shooting positions is nice. And now I don't have to worry about sliding the whole rail off. I just pop that off, right? To remove the barrel to action. Yeah. Yeah, I actually took um, one of my one of my uh, enclosed forends, and I put um, <clears throat> the RRS R-lock rail on the bottom of it. Um, and I'm gonna mess with that because I, I took the Creedmoor training rifle um, and put it back in the in the Whiskey Three or one of my Whiskey Threes, and then um, the the C4 is gonna be what's what's running the competition guns. That the BRA will go into the C4. I'm going to shoot a local match this weekend with, um, with some friends here in town and, um, I'm going to shoot a six creed for that. But then when that's done and over with the BRA barreled action, will go in the C4 
And I think I'm just going to take that six Creedmoor and put it into the prototype version of the C4 and continue to shoot it because, Hey, it's, it's doing just fine. So it's just a different color. Um, and honestly, like there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of differences. I mean, yeah, the Magwell stuff with the wings on it for, um, the pre, the pre prototype, the initial prototype, but still, it's still super rich with features and, and completely usable. So why not, why not keep, why not keep using it? Yeah. I actually dropped my, um, my impact 308, uh, back into it because it was shooting i mean yeah now that i have a essentially the pre-production and or the prototype and the pre-production it's it's right. uh, nice not to throw shade <laughs> on our listeners because <laughs> every everyone is like asking like when are we going to be able to get it and uh they're it's going to come soon guys they're they're uh they're they're working hard to, to get it into hands and you guys are going to like it, man. Especially if you guys yeah. are, you're, uh, you guys love the ergonomics of the, 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 the whiskey three. um, and the whiskey three. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, stand by for a video. I'll talk about, um, the comparisons. If you're, if you're currently a whiskey three owner and you, you know, you're, you're wondering, well, is it worth the, worth the, the jump or, or whatever, or if you can just stick with what you have, um, and be competitive I, at the end of the day, you can still be competitive with the, oh, yeah. the whiskey three, right? For sure. Um, it's just, uh, you know, that competition just now gives KRG the ability to step into the competition game. Whereas they, they weren't initially before, right? Because <clears throat> I mean, when, when the whiskey threes came out, I mean, we talked about this with Justin and John and those guys, like their goal was to go lighter, right? That was, the, that was where the, <clears throat> the direction of the market was moving was, Hey, how to try to lighten up your chassis. Yeah, and they're all like, they're snipers. They're they're heavy. snipers, yeah. and, and they're like, "Hey, we want we we want to have uh, modularity. We want to have uh, customization, but we also want to have it in a lightweight package that I you know I'm I would be comfortable carrying a, as a sniper." And um, so it, you're right. They're they're going the they're going the other way, which is which is nice, and it's balanced. It's very well balanced. Um, you don't need uh, to balance mine with a proof competition contour. Uh, just that one weight in the back, the, 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 um, it's basically just unfinished steel that weight in the back and the stock. And then the, the forend area, I think it's just because it's longer, it's long enough. And with the competition contour from proof, it just balances out really nice. Now you throw the trigger cam on there. Yes. It kind of throws the balance off just a skosh. Um, but, uh, it's definitely manageable, especially with a bigger bag, like a schmedium, um, a schmedium sand filled, which I I'm still like, I know we've had that conversation uh, a couple of times about going back and forth between what, what bags we're using, but, um, I still gravitate to the schmedium sand filled. It's just literally like a brick, you know, it's like you throw that up there <clears throat> And the rifle basically just kind of forms itself or the bag forms itself around the rifle. And it's just like a nice cradle and it works really well. So, um, you haven't had to add any weights to yours to balance. Have you? No, I just ordered some weights though. Um, to, uh, because I, I like right now I'm still, I'm still kind of rear heavy. Mm. Um, but I did put a spacer in the back. Uh, I oh, you, that's to. right. You did. Um, you did. Yeah. Uh, but the, I mean the buttstock, with a heavy profile barrel because i mean the, the chastity by itself weighs just a touch over six pounds i weighed it and um a couple of things that we're going to talk about um it accepts trigger hangers so like before for like yeah. the whiskey three for guys that are wondering like the impact um has a trigger hanger the kelby action the c4 has uh acceptance for a um uh trigger um trigger hanger so don't worry about that guys if you're on an impact but um yeah so the, the buttstock or the, the chassis is rear heavy. And then obviously it's cause it's, it's made to have a heavy or thought of mind to have a heavier, uh, contour barrel in front. It'll take up to 1.250, uh, straight, straight, um, uh, bull barrel. And they've extended the forend. I can't off the top of my head. I don't know the actual length, but it is longer than yeah. the typical enclosed forend. Hang on. Um, actually, so, I've got one. Hang on. Give me a second. I'll measure it. Um, but yeah. And then integral, we talked about integral ARCA. 
So again, guys, um, I'm actually texting one of the KRG guys. Oh, the 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 butt pad is uh, adjustable as well. So very similar to the Whiskey Three, where you can cant the butt pad. I don't like the butt pad. I actually made a recommendation to KRG to those guys for guys that just don't want a cant. Um, you know, uh, to uh, add a locking feature. So um, I think they were talking about uh, adding that to the uh, the list. But um, yeah, like I said, guys, excited for you guys to get in hands. I think it's going to be rad. I think it's going to hit the market really well and and be well received by you guys. Um, the the forend is 16, 16 and three quarter inches long from the front of the magwell. Sixteen and three quarters of it. Okay. Yep, from the front yeah. of the magwell um, to the end of the forend, sixteen and three quarters. Is that is that the original C four? This is the, or the yeah, prototype. This, this is the prototype. Yeah. Yeah. To, so to my knowledge, couple, they haven't, they haven't changed the forehand on the, <clears throat> from the two. The only difference, if you look at the, uh, Kalen, if you look at, um, the very first M lock, they actually removed that one. So on it the, goes one, two, two. Yeah. So you see yeah, it, it yeah. goes two, two, two. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and now I finally kind of, at first I wasn't a fan. Sorry guys. Uh, I wasn't a fan of the two round holder that they, they, they made, but actually once I figured it out, how to adjust it properly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it works it, good. It, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice touch. So yeah. uh, great job on that, on that guys. Um, but yeah, dude, that's, that's pretty much, pretty much it. Um, like I said, stand by for some, some videos, stand by for, uh, uh, if you know what, I'm going to say this, this video will be up on the uh youtube channel uh, i'll I'll throw some modern day sniper youtube channel. modern day sniper youtube channel i'll throw some b-roll of of the uh the the footage i do have of the c4 so you guys can take a look at that um (laughs) as you guys wait for for it to release and come out and um yeah you know for those that are looking into again just uh look for that next level of competition um it's definitely the chassis for you so yeah yeah. Um, well, we got some, we got some super cool projects coming up in the works guys. Um, you know, we're, we're always trying to figure out new, new ways to bring you guys information and we got some pretty cool projects in the works. Um, for those of you guys who have been, um, on the, on the wait for the, the prep to hunt program that we started last year, um, we're going to be bringing the prep to hunt program back in full force coming up here very shortly. And we're going to take a different approach than what I initially thought we could get away with um, in terms of um, duration of the course itself. Uh, I think it's going to be super worth, uh, super worth the while. Um, it'll be good. And we're just going to kind of pull it out in duration and um, make it kind of like an all season thing, which pretty much is exactly the way it should be. We should be, we should be training all season long. And um, that's what's, that's, what's going to reflect in that. And kind of got some tripod stuff coming from you guys. Uh, I've got um, the tripod masterclass curriculum out and it's fresh and it's being addressed and we're going to start knocking that out. And, um, the subscription service this year is going to be super badass. We've got all kinds of really good stuff in there. Uh, Philip and I sat down and, and looked at the, the next year's content and we're super stoked on it because we listen to you guys. There's going to be more technical topics that are, they're going to be happening in there, uh, based upon what, uh, what you guys, um, showed us that you really liked based upon last year's, um, uh, experience. So we're listening and that's happening. Uh, the network is growing like crazy. It's, it's growing every day, which, um, is it's badass. It's awesome. And there's such great conversations happening there. Um, it just kind of like took on a mind of its own. And now everybody is in there chatting, communicating, uh, exchanging information. And, um, it's been, it's been really cool to witness and, and watch it grow. So, lots of good stuff coming in that, in that regard and video, video stuff too. I know Phil, you're, you're working on a ton of videos. You're always working on a ton of videos. I, I, I am in, I'm always inspired by your, uh, by your videos. So, um, I appreciate those things coming and yeah, it's just, uh, the springtime is, is, is upon us. It might not be that way in Wyoming right now, but Mm. I remember when I got back from Florida, man, it was, um, I landed in Pasco. 
um, in Washington in a place called Tri-Cities. It's about an hour and a half away from my house. And it was 68 degrees when I landed in Pasco. And I was at home uh, sorting out my <laughs> shorts and a t-shirt and my shop was warm. I was like, oh man, what is happening right now? It's like the 10th of February. So, and it's been super nice. It's been, you know, 50s, 55s, almost 60 during the day. And um, it's kind of like springtime around here. So I'm hoping the mountains get some more snow just for, just straight for water. Um, but uh, we'll see how, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, I've got spring bear this, this, uh, this spring, um, got a six, five PRC built for it. Wink, wink. We'll talk about that here and yeah, maybe next episode or a few, yeah. a few weeks, uh, we've got something coming for you guys, but got a six, five PRC built, um, can be start doing some load development on that here shortly. I've got some one fifty three a tips that I've been kind of sitting on. I've been wanting to, to, to push out. So, um, and then, uh, yeah, another, I'm, I'm already itching for hunting season, man. Stone Glacier right? that elk video out. And I'm like, yeah, what is it? It's only freaking February. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, but, yeah, we, we saw some, uh, there's some, we saw some turkeys here. Um, I was in Spokane yesterday and there's some turkeys out and it's just like, all right, turkey season's right around the corner. They're still, Do you hunt those with rifle or shotgun shotgun. Yeah. Oh, Okay. It's, yeah. it's a blast, man. It, it is so much fun to hunt turkeys. It's a blast. Um, but, uh, we got that coming up and then they're still, um, they're still, uh, I guess deliberating on whether or not Washington's going to have a spring bear season this year, yeah. which is sucks. super jacked up, man. Um, yeah. if you guys oh, are any chance, any chance for a backcountry hunting course, I know we've got a couple guys been asking, yeah, we're, um, I'm going to chat with Luke. Uh, I'm going to chat with Luke about that. He is, um, he's still doing some guiding up in Canada. And so that sometimes kind of uh, bumps into the backcountry hunter course schedule, just because we have a very narrow window in terms of, you know, weather and, and snowpack. Um, and then obviously we don't want to be too late in the season, uh, because, guys are guys, their tags are getting drawn and they're looking, they're scouting for animals. And, you know, we always just want to be respective of that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely coming. I would love to, because if we haven't run one in a couple of years and that's such a great course to, uh, to teach students learn so much from it. And I, it's one of my favorite courses to teach just because uh, you get to witness some really, really cool transformations in students when, um, when they're in the mountains and, getting exposed to the, the trials that we expose them to. It's fun. So, um, yeah, man, it's a, it's a beautiful day. Um, it's, it's 10 to 12 here in Washington and, uh, sun's shining, the wind's blowing. And I've got a couple hundred rounds of six greed more that's burning holes in my, uh, in my ammo boxes that, uh, we need to get out and sling some lead. So that's what I'm doing this afternoon. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, we've been, so I've been trying to get after this year again, I'm going for the AG cup. Um, I've been trying to train. I, I know I didn't train the last couple of days cause of the, just the, the temperature is just super gnarly or just the winds and, and, and the snow. So, uh, I've been able to get out, but uh, for the most part of it, other dry fired for at least 15, 20 minutes or done some live fire. Um, and, uh, you know, I just talked about, you know, um, accountability partnership stuff. So I'll, I'll send you a couple of drills that, um, I was doing, uh, uh, that you and David can, can probably, uh, work on. Um, definitely. I, I would recommend filming it. Um, do you have two trigger cams or just one? Does he have trigger cams? I, I have, tr I have two trigger cams. Yeah. I've got yeah, the, I got the, I'd, I'd strap one on his, his gun. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, dude, that, I mean, that trigger cam is freaking phenomenal. I, I think, uh, I really want to do, a almost like another mini masterclass course of like how to, how to integrate your, well, just, but like how to record yourself, right? Like yep. and what are you looking, what are you looking for when you're recording yourself? Um, you know, I, I think that's uh, composition is, is not a very, um, yeah. It's well, just not it's, a, a subject that's really talked about in, in, I guess, our sport, right? Like I've learned it obviously from 
uh, taking videography classes and, and whatnot. But like, I see a lot of guys trying to put content up for, for precision rifle shooting for, on their own personal page and stuff like that. And uh, it's just not very attractive because of the competition composition they have. Right? right. Like when you're, when you're, when I'm watching somebody and I just see their back, right. And down yeah. range, it's like, that's not entertaining, man. It's like, even just watching someone shoot long range is boring enough. Right. Like now I look at my old videos without the trigger cam. It's, it's straight. It's just like, it's like, it's like terrible to watch. It's like, right. It's just like, I know what I'm talking about. Like, and I, I remember being in that moment, but like from the outside, it's like, all right, dude, what are you doing with this long gun? And like, right. what do you, <clears throat> so, well, the, the, so, understanding well we also had a lot of we had not a lot a couple of students filmed themselves um pretty regularly in the last uh in the last intro class and then um there was one student that stayed to the advanced course that also continued to film himself which is awesome because filming yourself is a fantastic way of um just getting a different perspective and truly seeing the things that you're doing subconsciously that your conscious mind is not aware of. And then once you can bring that into your awareness, then you can focus on it and make a change. Um, and guys, I can't stress enough. The trigger cam is, is phenomenal. Um, the new version of the trigger cam allows you to shoot in really high frame rates, which is, which is really good for, um, obviously, you know, slow motion stuff. If you, if you understand some basics of video editing, you can slow the footage down and you can really watch it frame by frame and pay very, very particular attention to your sight picture and where you're truly breaking your shots. Um, I learned a tremendous amount from reviewing some footage in Florida. Um, and it's very, uh, it's very apparent. We were talking about the Mirage stuff in, in Florida and how it distorts your image of the target and where, where exactly you're aiming on the target versus where you think you're aiming on the target. And the trigger cam gives you the option, the opportunity to go back and look and go, Oh, well, yeah, it was, I clearly broke that shot too low on the target because I really couldn't see. I thought that it was in, in the center of the target, but in the reality of it, it I wasn't. <clears throat> and so you can see that through the trigger cam, which is, which is cool. Um, so it's a really, it's just a valuable tool. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. I am. Um, yeah. Let's, um, let's go shoot. Let's go shoot. Let's go shoot. Yeah. Hey guys. Um, we are now episode 66. We're over 500,000 downloads. Thank you guys so much, uh, for your guys' support. Uh, everyone that just came through all of our in-person classes, these last, uh, this last month in January, Jesus, January and early February, man, we, I've been on the road. I've been on three trips it's, already since the beginning. Of the year. It's it's pretty intense, intense, yeah. dude. It's pretty uh, intense. Um, it, it's super cool to meet uh, you guys that uh, listen have listened to the podcast since day one. Um, it, it's just truly humbling, and uh, we appreciate yes. your guys' support and 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 being um, being with us uh, on this journey of uh, of you know the craft of trying to be uh, you know the best modern day rifle that we can. So um, thanks, guys. Uh, appreciate every single one of you guys. And we will see you guys in the next podcast. Yeah. You guys are the drill. Keep your face on the gun. Right on. Till next time, guys.